Namo tatsa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tatsa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tatsa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara Ye Sodavanta Bamunchantu Satang So this uh, Friday and Saturday, Sunday the retreat ends, all that begins ends. This uh, <coughs> reflection on just that simple truth is, uh, you know, like a, a Nietzsche, all conditions are impermanent. What comes together must separate. And so you become aware of, like, coming together, the feeling of coming together is like this, separation is like this. You notice how I say goodbye, and we have ways of you know, if you if you say uh, we usually say "see you again," au revoir, or "auf Wiedersehen," or "arrivederci," or "daijen," or these are all ways of because the finality of goodbye, as if you know, especially if you like the person. Sometimes you just say goodbye. Hope I never see you again. (laughs) 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 But the uh, but saying goodbye to the loved is always you know it's too much to say goodbye. uh, You know, as if it was final. Says see you again. Well, this is, you know, like the, it's just the, 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 it's a, you know, the sorrow of separation, isn't it? It's, there's the hope of, you know, the hope that we'll meet again. And then, these are just ways of just noting what the human condition is like, you know, it's, it's like this, coming together, coming together with the, the, what you like and love and, feel at ease with and so forth is like this. You know, it's a beginning and a sense of of a happy moment, the coming together and then separating. And yet these are happening to us all the time, you know, and life's always coming, going, <coughs> uh, meeting, separating, beginning, ending. And so with, with mindfulness, you know, and, and reflection, satisampachanya, you're not just doing this in a mechanical or habitual way, but you're actually noticing, learning uh, about yourself, about the human condition, about the sensitive realm. (coughs) 
like children, young children, before they they have, uh, you know, so before they can understand, see you again, isn't it like uh, when the mother separates from the baby, it's like, you know, it's like that total separation doesn't, but as they grow older, then you, then you, you know, you say, well, I'll be back in a few minutes, and then you can understand that, certain age you understand, I'll be back in a few minutes, so, you know, kind of scream and yell because this because the you know the rea- the uh, until you have that perception of able to understand I'll be back in a few minutes and that eases the separation now emphasizing the right attitude and uh, because this is a this is a totally different thing than you know meditation is is not a gaining process it's timeless you know you're not not a, that's why I keep emphasizing uh, to to break through this assumption that <coughs> I am this body which is has an age, you know, and it's a time-bound condition, and then uh, and and that you know I've got to meditate now because of or you know the my ignorance and my defilements and all that, and and in order to become something in the future. Uh, just pointing this out, this is the world we live in, this is the world we believe is real. Our reality is is an illusion. But when you're living in a society where everybody shares the illusion, (laughs) I mean, so we're, we're bound to clocks and calendars and diaries and and these assumptions. Uh, like looking at the body, this is why you know why mindfulness is not it, it is going against uh, you know it's, it's breaking through the illusions. This is the way we break through. We see through the conditioning or the illusions that we that we are grasping. So in Buddhism, we're not believing the body's not self is some kind of Buddhist doctrine. And sometimes we grasp the Buddhist teachings without, without mindfulness. So then we, what do Buddhists believe? We believe in no self. <laughs> and uh, we believe in um, the law of karma. And we, in these, these kind of things are believing in, these are believing in theories and doctrines or teachings that it's like like but but we're believing in them it's just you know maybe you you understand or you think you understand what they mean but doctrines are only words and so anatta is a word or no self you know it's it's a man-made word 
So it it is a convention. And we believe, what do we mean by what is no self? And then you, you start looking at what, you know, the sense of being a self. Because when, when I first came, uh, you know, and I first started meditating, the anatta was very difficult to comprehend. Because, you know, one thing, one thing seemed very real to me was myself. Because <laughs> I'm here. You know, I'm feeling this, I'm thinking. And, and uh, this seemed the reality that I couldn't deny. And then they said, there's no self. Anicca was much more easy to see because I mean you just you know you just notice uh, you know I was in this in in Nongkai and the in this uh, situation you know where you're stuck with yourself all the time with you're supposed to st- you're not supposed to go anywhere or talk to anybody so there you're stuck with yourself. You don't have any other other people to talk to, and nothing to do, but meditate. So then, uh, you know, you do a few hours of anapanasati, and maybe And you know, Anicca seemed very obvious. You know, just watching the 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 light change. I remember sitting on the the porch of the kuti and watching the the light come in in the morning. You know, and changing of light into high noon and evening, dark night, and then the seasons changing and. And the you know I'm aware of my thoughts moving and emotions and but then uh, the self seemed you know this is me watching all this you know I'm observing this the the changing the light coming and going and the 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 feelings in the body and I'm observing my body and my emotions that seems to be fairly honest way of looking at it. But then, uh, you know, because this is a, a statement uh, the Buddha made, uh, therefore, it, you know, you it, it's obviously, you know, you take it more seriously than if just ordinary per- the taxi driver said it. <laughs> so you... <laughs> so you... Uh, what is what does that mean? And then you know more and more this this uh, you know all these doing they having things to do like anapanasati walking meditation, the doing part of the meditation. You know if if there's anything else to do that you you know in the ordinary life you have distractions or duties and routines to follow, but when you're stuck alone you know, with yourself, with, you know, with not, nothing to do, and, you th- and, you know, think this is really great, I'm going to really get my meditation together, 
then, you know, the techniques are, you know, you, you can only do them for so long. And then you, you know, you, you do, you, but then you find that, that uh, all kinds of uh, suppressed feelings are coming up. Like I experienced a lot of anger, because I spent a lifetime suppressing anger. And so by exploring, and then this was the dukkha of the first noble truth. And and then, you know, the sense of myself, I began to contemplate, you know, I, there's, that I was interested in subject-object relation because they talk about this as part of the Dhamma, you know, the, the Buddha knowing the Dhamma is the paradigm, isn't it? Puto Tamo. And then there's, you know, then then it seems to me that I'm doing the awareness. You know, I am aware of the body. I'm aware of the breath. And that's the convention of language, isn't it? But then <coughs> when I really look in this, the sense of I am is uh, arises with thought. When there's no thought, then there there's still this this subjectivity. There's a subject object relation, but you know, when, as you trust more in the awareness than in the than just uh, thinking about the convention, then that which is aware and the the thinking process creates a sense of I am this person, I am this body, these are my emotions. Now this, to, to people, this may not seem like very much, but this is quite a profound realization that I create myself as a person and and just by, and, th and then the anger, the the repressed anger that started coming up, then that anger seemed very personal, doesn't it? Because, you know, it's a, something that, that been, has been rejected and feared, and, and then you hate yourself for feeling angry, because I'm, I'm, I was a very idealistic person. Didn't want to be angry and hate everybody and, and, and just, you know, I didn't want to be that kind of a person. So, so that you know, when these kind of uh, emotions started uh, coming up, you know, I had ways of distracting or ignoring or running away, suppressing. So then, when you're stuck like that with yourself, then there's nothing else to do because you can't get away from it, and all your attempts to suppress it fail. So you just sit with it, and then this this kind of like a purification of place this this you know the, all this suppressed anger of over thirty years it got really bad, you know, really you know I thought horrible you know i I thought I was a nice person, but <laughs> not at all. Thank <laughs> you.
And that's because oh, I was identifying with the anger, and anger's bad or not nice. But then, then by bringing attention to awareness of the anger, as soon as I identified with it, I'd feel, you know, I'd make, I'd, you know, my anger, and then I start analyzing. It's because of this or that, or whose fault it is, is it, or, you know, the, my generation. We were, you know, in in university, we were, you know, it's all Freudian psychology where you, your mother's responsible for every <laughs> bit of suffering. <laughs> so, so the mother got got the blame. But then, you know, that didn't resonate either, you know. So, um, you know, I tried desperately to blame it on my mother, but <laughs> actually she... You know, she she was a pretty good mother. So, I mean, I can, if she'd been a terrible mother, then I might have been able to justify it. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, that didn't work. So then this this subject that, you know, this, by exploring, the, this is why Sakya Ditti, in the, these ten fetters, um, Sanyojanas, this is, you know, the Sakya Ditti is the Pali word for personality view. So I started listening to myself as a person, you know, like a, I think of myself as listening to somebody on the other side of a fence, like the neighbors gossiping, you know, and they're chatting away, and I'm just listening. I'm kind of eavesdropping, just listening. <laughs> I've had uh, you know, and and so that whatever they say, you know, it can be silly or whatever, but or serious or nasty or whatever. But it, it's I'm the listening, you know, because it's not me. It's the it's the neighbors on the other side of the fence, <laughs> or like you're listening to uh, you know radio or or a soap opera or a television. So just just letting, making this anger more verbal, you know, so, you know, so uh, I, so I intentionally just be thinking this anger out, and, and that which is aware of the anger, you know, like the anger is always saying, you are, I am, and it's your fault, or it's my fault, or it's my mother's fault, or it's the United States' fault, or it's the and and it goes on, but the uh, you know, uh, but this is the this is the thinking process that creates this sense of of me as a person. But the that which is aware of me, you know, and this is where this is where you're, you're exploring that that subtle difference before you, you know, that point of awareness before you think anything. So this is this is why it's something you, you need to know for yourself. I can't, you know, this is the best I can do to try to point to it, explain it, but, you know, I can't make you do it or, or do it for you. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's like self-inquiry 
or I am, you know, is a statement, you know, um, the I and am, and that, uh, and then uh, I listen to just myself thinking I am. Now that seemed to be fairly, because it wasn't saying I am anything, it's just a statement of being present. But it's still, the, the pronoun I does have a, you know, is aligned very much with the feeling of, of, of me as a person. And then, then noticing that before I think I, you know, the awareness of this, 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 uh, there's consciousness, but there's no word in it. And as you, you begin to, you know, notice this, then the, the spaces, the space, you know, the consciousness uh, is behind, you know, is, is there all the time. The words come and go. The sense of I am comes and goes. And then, then you think of, uh, you know, you get personal in. I am Ajahn Sumato. And then I've got a name. I am uh, a Buddhist monk. I am an angry man. I am a good man. I am a bad man. What they then then the qualities start coming, isn't it? You know, it's good, bad, right and wrong, male, female. Now this is this is being aware of the way it is. And and when you you know, when you when, no I am doesn't have any strong emotion to it. It's more a statement of being present. And then, then the then the, then you divide. You start getting into, I am Ajahn Tomato, and you are this person, that person. I am a man. You are a woman. I am an American. You're an Englishman, a Scotsman. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> we get on into that, and then it. This is I am <coughs> better or worse, or you know I am the best or the worst, and then these are notice that these are the values, you know, the critical mind, the in, in you know thinking this is better than that, this is the right, this is wrong. Well, what is it that notices that is aware of this? So when when you're listening to yourself thinking. It's not thinking anymore. It's discerning thinking. And this is this is very important. Discerning thinking. Thinking is like this. And then thinking is where we get uh, into our suffering because you know, I'm if I start thinking of myself in negative terms or thinking about remembering all the unfairness injustices done to me in my life and how it should have been and 
I think in my, I, n- I didn't tend to see myself as in, in terms of positive. I was, I was very critical. So, so you know, I tended to make myself miserable because, you know, it seemed to be on honesty mounted to admitting your faults. Where you know some some people won't admit them. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm all right. It's, it's you that has the problems. You get into, you know, this denial mode. Or you think, you know, I'm the, you know, I'm the one that, I'm the troublemaker. I'm the one that is always, you know, making a problem or, you know, those are the two extremes, total denial. Nothing wrong with me or, you know, I'm just, the one at fault all the time, but it's still you know. But when you start, if I there's nothing wrong with me, then you don't tend to, you just deny everything. So you you wouldn't even come to a place like this. You go to the football. Game. <laughs> go to the pub. <laughs> but when you come to a place like this, there is you know something in you that's opening up. You know you're not. You're not just trying to, to uh, you know, live your life with, you know, you, you know, you really believe in in uh, in these delusions totally, so you don't even question them. But then, when you when you're awakening, then there's a sense of of inquiry, you know, and who am I, or what is life about? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? Why was I born? You know, because when you start observing life, it seems so absurd. And I kept thinking, what what is the purpose of life? You know, I'm born, I'm in this body, and uh, for what purpose? What's the point of it? Am I just here to procreate the species? Maybe that's all. Is that all? But then, why? You know, if if that's all I meant to do. Why do I think about other things? <laughs> Why don't I just like the dogs or, you know, <laughs> going according to, you know, procreating the species according to that the animal nature? And then uh, if I'm just here to eat and sleep. And, it, you know, that doesn't satisfy, you know, the... I'm just here, so I'll spend my life eating, sleeping, procreating. Something in me longing for something more, and that there's something, a sense that there's something more to this, but you don't know what it is. So then I said, before asking the the priest, says, you're created to love God, and uh, somehow that didn't didn't make sense either. I mean, why why does God need my love? <laughs> hey, why would I create something to love yourself? You know? So I mean, it just doesn't make sense, you know, in the terms of. So I I you know th- th- this this questioning this this uh, doubting nature skeptical mind.
So then, uh, then in the Buddha Dhamma, then you're, you're really getting to right into the very origin of doubt and self. What is the purpose of my life? So you're you're not trying to find the answer as you know some kind of nice statement from somebody else. You know, say, <coughs> what is the Buddhist purpose? You know, what is you know, and you want to some to be one with the Buddha or <laughs> no, no statement like that. But but it gives you the the map how to how to resolve the problem. Not by telling you the answers, but by your own awakened awareness, because that's that is the obstruction is is ignorance and delusion. So during this retreat, I encourage you to explore, you know, to investigate, and this is uh, and and, and it, so it's not an analysis. Like analysis is, is uh, you know, working with a thinking mind, reason, logic, and 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 that, or trying to find cause. You know, why do I feel angry? Is it because you know because I've my parent? I'm from a dysfunctional family, and anger was uh, punished. You know, you're not supposed to show anger. So when when I show anger, I get punished. So it's my mother's and father's fault. And so I think, well, now I've solved the problem. I know why I'm, but I'm still getting angry. It doesn't, in fact, gives me something even more to feel angry about. Because <laughs> 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 they shouldn't have done that. You know, they should have. You know, if they were perfect parents, if they were arahants, <laughs> they probably wouldn't have had me. <laughs> so. <laughs> so uh, then, then, the, then the recognizing anger, not not as why do I have this emotion, and whose fault is it? But the mindfulness is anger is like this when this the mo- the conditions, certain conditions, you know, come together, and this is what you feel. If those conditions aren't present, you don't feel anger. But when you when you're fr- coming from the self view, then you, the Freudian idea and that you think because of dysfunctional family and ang- and suppression, I'm actually holding anger. You know, it's deep down inside somewhere, and a kind of permanent. Uh, it's a storehouse of anger that's deep inside me. And uh, and so you get this impression that you've got to, you know, get it all out and and do something, uh, as it kind of empty it all out because it's it's in you all the time, and it's kind of stuck in there, and then it seeps out in occasion. But but in the Buddhist terms, it's that's not the way it is. When the conditions now it's very obvious, isn't it? When you know when somebody insults me. Now when somebody calls me a nasty name, you know, a nasty name is, uh, you know, this is what I feel, the feeling of 
anger arises. Now, I don't have to know why, you know, because that's not the point, is it? It's just, this is the way it is. If, if, if somebody kicks me in the thigh, it hurts. That's just the way it is. I don't need to know why. Trace it back to somebody kicked me in the thigh when I was <laughs> five years old. So, uh, you know, it's just the way this uh, sensitive realm is like this. And and so when somebody is angry with you and calls you names, this is the uh, anger arises. Or somebody praises you and tells you how much they love you, you feel like this. Somebody says they hate you and and despise you, you feel like this. The feeling is like this. Anger is, uh, you know, so you're not seeing it in terms of some personal problem that you, because of past uh, things that you've repressed it, but you're actually, you know, seeing it as your path because, you know, we are, we're, we're con you know, this, this ignorance is, has deluded us, say, for a long enough time to where we have created a lot of uh, delusions and beliefs and habits. And this is the realm that we're experiencing, the sensitive realm. So we begin to notice the way it is. How, how things coming from outside, you know, well, you know, the just the weather, whether it's cold or hot or sunny or rainy, you know, you, your mood changes. Is that some personal flaw? You should have the, the same mood all the time. You know, that's an ideal, isn't it? That's, you know, that's some ideal uh, you might have, but that's not what actually is the, the way, is it? the way it is. It's is uh, you know when the sun when it's sunny morning you feel like this, it's cold and wet, dismal morning it's like this, <laughs> and you're not complaining, or but you're you're able to just learn from the way things are. So this is this is where the the mindfulness is the gate to the deathless. Because this is uh, the mindfulness. Then is uh, you know it's to be recognized. Like we're talking about being aware of awareness. Now that's a those are words. You know those are ideas. But uh, you can be you know. But when when I use this word awareness uh, or mindfulness or sati sampatanya it's it's not it, and then there's consciousness which is you know we're conscious this is a you know these are conscious forms so even when you're going crazy angry and greedy and frightened and everything consciousness is operating but then then the conditions for the affects consciousness. So the conditions for anger arise, and what do they arise? They arise in consciousness. 
is consciousness angry? Or is it conditions? You know, you're conscious all the time, but the conditions change. So uh, when when the conditions for anger are present, then this is this arises in consciousness. When that anger ceases, you're still conscious. There's still consciousness. But and so then you're aware, you know, through mindfulness, through using mindfulness with consciousness and panya or wisdom, then you're you're recognizing the absence of anger is like this. So you can you you know that's discerning the difference between anger and non-anger, which is mindfulness, intuitive awareness. It's its ability to discern the way it is, and it's not evaluating, you know, saying that it's right or wrong, good or bad. It's like this. So like they have like a dosa, like dosa, lopa dosa moa is a kind of, you know, greed, hatred, and delusion is kind of the, these three defilements, conditions. Okay, the delusions and the suffering and all that. By attaching to greed, hatred, and delusion, then we suffer. So then, then uh, so, you know, first you you need to recognize greed, hatred, and delusion because um, unless you're already enlightened, then you needn't. <laughs> but <laughs> but if you're not, then then these and you think that the you know you suffer from attaching to greed, hatred, and delusion. There are various forms and degrees, and then that attachment then attachment to greed makes makes me greedy. Attachment to hatred makes me hate. But and so as you as you begin to to investigate this non attachment, then you know, you begin to see the the suffering caused through attaching, out of ignorance attaching to these that's either through indulging or in resisting them. <coughs> repression of anger, repression of greed is is heavy karma. You know, so you you know, the more you try to repress your feelings, you you become obsessed with them. You know, think of somebody you know, you really dislike and you think about them more than when you're angry with somebody, you think about them more than the people you love. Or, you know, just good friends. You're going to become obsessed with with uh, what you don't like. And the more you repress it, then then it seems to just kind of become even more obsessive. You know, you get, you get, and you're just trying to get away from it. And the more you run, uh, it seems to chase you, goes wherever you are. <coughs> so then you have to take drugs or drink or sleeping pills or tranquilizers or something to just, 
you know, try to calm the the madness down. Or turning to it, recognizing, you know, being mindful of it. So this this is you know it, like in when you in your daily life this is you know to reflect on it you know this you know not make this into I should meditate you know, so many hours a day and, <coughs> and because we make after a retreat especially if you had a good retreat then you you make all kinds of vows that you will never keep. <laughs> <laughs> So then this this mindfulness is uh is just this I am now mindful of that or if I'm not mindful then I am in uh, I'm caught in in my personality and so so then if I'm heedless then then somebody curses me and insults me and how dare you talk to me like that? I'm caught into the proliferating reaction to feeling wounded or hurt or angry about being insulted. And then, but if I, if there's awareness, then I am is uh, you know seen in it is a, it's a convention of language. Or I am Ajahn Sumedho is a you know it's a convention, uh, you know for worldly communication. Or somebody starts calling me terrible names, and with the awareness, it's like this. So you you and to to be able to to appreciate this, you, you need to recognize pure awareness. Your mindfulness is is just this. It's you can't, you know, you can't you can't see it or be aware of awareness, but you recognize, realize the state of awareness is this. And it, it's as simple as that. Very very simple. So it's here and now because. That's the way it is. It's, uh, there's no time, akalika dhamma, timelessness. Time is is we create the sense of time, <coughs> but but experience is always now. Consciousness is now. So so you're you're informing yourself more and more, not by trying to figure it out, but by observing, witnessing paying attention. So then uh, then listening to uh, the gossipy neighbors on the other side of the fence, you know. So so I would listen to myself, uh, you know, my fears and desires and but I do it quite intentionally. So it wasn't just 
you know, what, if I if I if I don't determine to do this, then I tend to suppress or create guilt about you know unkind thoughts or selfishness. But if I if I listen, you know, I I am Ajahn Sumedho and I'm uh, got to practice uh, hard because uh, I've got a lot of defilements and I need to uh, cleanse myself, clean myself up from these defilements and and uh, realize the true Dhamma. So I deliberately think that. I'm listening to it. And then by, you know, because I'm intensely thinking that I start taking out, you know, if I say it over and over, then it's kind of emotional impact, you know, kind of, it loses its kind of, it becomes perfunctory, and then you can more see it in just terms of words. I am Ajahn Sumedho, suddenly it's just, it does, it's just words that I'm thinking, and I am a unenlightened uh, person, uh, angry man that needs to become someone who isn't angry. And more and more that the words are just, you know, you, you realize they're just words and they they lose that sense of, of being, you know, of the emotional impact of, of making you feel that it's you. And that awareness then of the words, the, the self, the sakyaditi, that is then awareness, is just this. So like, how do you become aware of awareness? And then so you, you, you deliberately think that. And then pretty soon even the word awareness drops away. This is awareness. No, but it's, it's nothing. It's no thing. It's not even a state you create. It's a best thing you call it is a non-state, but it's it's un it's not created, it, uh, or it's it's natural state. It's it's uh, the gate. It's the the crack that you can get through, the escape hatch from the samsara. So when you recognize that, that's why. Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara, the gate to the deathless is open. Ye Sodavanta Bamunjantu Satang is those who who pay attention, Sodavantas are listeners, people who are attentive. Bamunjantu the to relax, let go in faith. Just let go, you know. Relax, take it easy. You don't have to search for this, for the gate to the deathless. Where is this gate? Is it in Thailand? (laughs) (laughs) In India? Buddha was enlightened in India, so it must, no, Nepal. must be, I've got to go to Nepal. Or it's here and now, and it's just this. And then in the, <coughs> the Dhammapada, the Appamado Amatapadang, mindfulness is the 
way to the deathless. Upamado is is being not being heedless. Like heedlessness, you know, you're caught into the momentum of your habits and you, you, you just, you know, helpless victim of the way you're thinking and your emotions. So you're heedless and your world is like that. But then, that's, but upamado is a non-heedlessness, non-heedlessness. Being, uh, getting tangled up in my own words, <laughs> heedfulness, is a heedfulness. But actually, upamado is a is a negation, isn't it? Uh, so, so it's not being heedless is the way to the deathless. So, amatapadang. Now, what is the deathless? You know, so that it's uh, you know that's a is that a like a death is usually considered. Then there's no death. Is that a double negative? <laughs> but in, in <laughs> deathless, so you. But the the words you know grammar and language are limited functions. So, but your so this must be the deathless. Just this awareness itself. So with gate to the death is you can be looking for a gate and how do you get through the gate? And where is this gate? You know, so you're practicing here. Maybe I'll find the gate to the deathless. <laughs> yeah. And you can sit here pl- trying to find the gate when actually, you know, being aware of the desire to get the gate. That's the gate. I want to, uh, where is this gate to the death? Then you, you think that deliberately and you're aware of the way you're holding these words. You know, the words aren't meant to be grasped. They're not meant to be believed in or grasped, but they're more like direction signs. Like the signs when you want to go to London, you you follow the signs. You don't grasp the signs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you grasp the signs pointing to London, you'll never get there. <laughs> <laughs> so there, you know, you recognize they're they're pointers. They're pointing in the direction. So, and the direction. In this way, it's here and now. You know, this is. So it's always wherever y- you are. It's and the time is always now, and the place is always here. That's not not a you know. So this is a, this doesn't designate you only at Amravati, or <laughs> or a special meditation retreat. So it's by. Now this is a way of reflecting so that you you keep reminding yourself because we do forget and get caught up into all the worldly cares and worries again. So, so we need ways of, of, of remembering, of reflecting. And 
like the the word puto for me. Puto, the this is the mantra that we used in the Thai forest tradition. Ajahn Chah and the Lung Man and all these famous uh, venerable forest Ajahns now, they're greatly revered. And they're simp- their teaching is very simple, actually. But then the word Puto is no magical formula that enlightens you. It's it's a helpful, expedient means to remember. Puto is the one, the knowing. So then, in uh, you know, in the London Underground, and you're getting all kind of caught into the reactivity and feelings and regrets, <coughs> and then you just puto. And then you know, pretty soon that word is 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 connected w- always with here and now. It's, it's taking uh, taking uh, this word, but using it to to re- remind yourself here and now. So then the here and now, uh, you know, this uh, sound of silence that I talking about. It's here and now. So, in the London Underground, <coughs> Puto, then I'm, I'm, I'm training myself to, to be fully present wherever, where the, wherever the body is, or whatever state of mind. So then somebody's uh, yelling at me, Puto, so then I can I access this. I I remember this sound of silence because it, it's a sign. It's a sign of presence. Don't grasp the idea of sound of silence. You know. You know. Then you get, then you get into. You kind of missed it. Missed the point. Then you you're making making things around it. But it's it's an expedient. You know. It's a it, the, the presence is now. Mindfulness is now. In that way, then you're you're not suppressing feelings, but you're you're remembering to be aware. And so, if you're all stirred up on the London Underground, it helps you to to be aware of your feelings without, you know, with, in putting them in that perspective of objects rather than personal problems or the real world that we can that we can fully you know ride the gamut of joy to grief in two seconds from elation to depression you know you see in my emotional life is you know how quickly it can reach the peak and then drop down to the the deer you know zenith and then suddenly, you know, top of the world, happy day. And then somebody says something I don't like, boom, plummet right down. Now that you can't trust, isn't it? One is just, you know, emotional life is is roller coaster ride. So <laughs> so you, 
you know, you're just being helplessly kind of going up and down according to the things that, you know, that are happening to you. But if if you know this, then then the uh, emotional habits you're moving will move more towards equanimity, a balance, you know, rather than this extreme extremity of elation to depression. So notice that sound of silence has an, is like equanimity. You know, it's kind of even, ongoing kind of flow. It's not exciting, uh, you know, it doesn't excite the mind, it's not depressing. You know, emotionally you can get bored with it because if you, you know, if you like music, it's exciting music and, you know, you know, there's a lot of melody or, or rhythm and things like that and this is pretty you know, you want to listen to, to something that really stirs you and makes you, excites the mind or pleases. This, 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 the, the you know, but, and so equanimity can be pretty boring, actually, to one who depends on excitement as your, you know, what you seek after. But as you begin to see the suffering of, all, of, of being a slave to excitement, you know, always seeking some exciting thing, interesting pastime or entertainment. That one, you know, the, that's the rat race, isn't it? It just goes on and on and on. You get weary. You get burnt out from, you know, living in the fast lane. So, <laughs> so you, you know, where equanimity uh, doesn't sound exciting at all, does it? Because it's not. It's this. But as you, but because this isn't, this isn't dependent on conditions. For excitement, you have to have conditions that, that will excite you. But for equanimity, it's always present, isn't it? The sound of silence always now. And then, then that equanimity is peacefulness. You know, and, and uh, you know, then it and it and it's attentiveness. It's not a, it's not a state that rejects the world or criticizes it, but knows. So then it then this is the. Ye soda one tabla moonjan tu satang. It's it's a trusting, you know, relaxing. Paying attention, it's not trusting in some some teaching, but in this this uh, this gate, this this awareness, and and then by being trusting, then that's a kind of like letting go, putting down, non-grasping. It's like this. Then you then you. And you know, you know, you realize the deathless. You know it. It's a fact. It's not. It's not uh, a conditioned state. It's not a some kind of abstract theory. 
where intellectually it sounds very abstract, doesn't it? The deathless. <coughs> sounds like metaphysical theory. The immortal realm. And so you can imagine somewhere up there in the sky, the immortals. And then we imagine like, you know, like Greek gods or something, you know. Aphrodite up there in the as an immortal goddess. Now that's fantasy, isn't it? That's that's not. And so, it, but then Aphrodite has a form, you know, it's a woman, it's a goddess, and it's a conditioned state. You know, so Aphrodite actually is not immortal, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but we can we can create fantasies around things, you know, and ideals. But this isn't fantastic, uh, and it's formless. It's empty. So it's like a non-state. It's like nothing. But it's a f it's a fact. It's real, and this is where you know. Then once you recognize this, and this is a a knowing that is is beyond doubt. You know because. You know it for yourself. It's not. It's not just. You believe in, in 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 Buddhism. Or Buddhist philosophy. Have I convinced you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's subtle, though. It, it isn't. You know, it's a. Uh, And uh, that's why it, we, you know, what I'm trying to do in this retreat is to encourage <coughs> you know, rather than tell you you've got to get rid of all your defilements you know, then that you go away and oh, you know, on that retreat you know you know, I have so many defilements how am I going to get rid of all those defilements <laughs> and then and then you, you know, I've got to practice at least an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, an hour in the evening. And so you make all kinds of, you know, disciplines to, to fight off the defilements and purify yourself. And then that, that kind of inspiration lasts only a short time. And <laughs> And then you, then you go, oh, I can't meditate, or I'm, you know, I'm not very good, I can't, I made this vow, you know, I made a vow to really practice this for my whole life, and I only kept it for a week. <laughs> and then you think, I'm not a very good person, I'm a weakling. I'm a weak character, I'll never get enlightened. So when you make vows when you're high, be careful, you know. <laughs> <coughs> That's why where mindfulness, isn't it? Is you know when you're you're high and and that so, or when you're when you're despairing because of meditation also you experience a lot of despair because you can't get what you want from it. So, <laughs> so 
you know, all your effort and hard work. You can put in, a, you know, hours of sitting and concentration and and, and the, you might get moments, you know, blissed out state. And then, but you can't sustain it. You know, and then you lose it all the time. And then it's kind of a despair. After a while, you just, I'm tired of doing that, you know. <laughs> working that hard and, and getting that, but then you're going to lose it anyway, so you feel despair. But, but awareness of despair, you know, this is, this is the, this is the path, this is the gate to the death. So, the despair, or the suffering side, is where we learn the most, when we're, you know, we're absolutely, you know, in the pits of despair in life, seeing that you know, we're total failures, and then sometimes that's where, <laughs> you know, you, you really, you know, you, that's why dukkha is the first noble truth, and why sukha isn't, why, why didn't the Buddha teach sukha? <laughs> that's more inspiring, isn't it? <laughs> Dukkha, you know, the people, people, you go to interfaith meetings here in London and they all think Buddhism's a pessimistic philosophy. Some won't even call it a religion. It's atheistic and pessimistic. You know, and Christians teach about love and we teach about suffering. <laughs> and, and I've got a point, you know, when you're looking at it on the level of, a, of, of the conventional form, love is, you know, all is love is, is inspiring, inspires. And, and so inspiration, you know, you can inspire your mind, uh, and that, that's good, that's like samatha practice, where you, you kind of lift yourself up and, and uh, chanting and and, and positive thinking and things like this help to inspire and I'm not I'm not disparaging this but uh, also it's, it's uh, you know we it, it's a skillful thing to do but attachment to depending on inspiration is inevitably going to lead you to despair because you can't sustain inspiration so then, because of you can't sustain the inhalation, you know, it, it reaches its limit and then it goes the other way. It's like that. So like inspiration is, you're going up if you, and it reaches this peak and then it goes down. So you boredom, boredom is where Inspiration has has uh, the peak. You've cro you've gone over the peak, and that's boredom, restlessness, despair, and that's where patience, uh, being willing to, and that's where the Buddha put his emphasis on dukkha, because this is what you know people tend to. As soon as you feel bored, what do you do? You try to you try to find something interesting. You know, if you're not awake or not patient, you know, as soon as you, 
you know, you're reading a book and you're getting bored with it, put it down and go to the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something, you know, you feel desire to have a, have some pleasant experience again. And then you think about the book, boring, and then you switch on the telly. And you're always going from one, one, you know, from something that interests, that excites, that distracts, that entertains, or you get some kind of pleasurable effect. And then when it, and but you can't sustain the, the pleasure. It reaches a point and then it, then one gets bored or weary of it and, and then you look for something else. So this is where mindfulness allows you to sustain your sustain awareness through the cycle, through the inhalation, exhalation, or through the inspiration and desperation. <laughs> so I'll stop here.